it's my experience that the governing board must have a clear understanding of the 10 principles and must accept them completely in order for the governance model to be successful. Hi everyone, Tristan McIver here, Program Advisor with AMC NPO Solutions. Today on the Strategic Nonprofit, I have invited again our, our founder and CEO, Tom Abbott, to the podcast. Hey, great hey, to Tom. be back, Trista. Great to have you back. So on this episode, we are going to be talking about the 10 principles of board governance. So could you explain to our listeners a little bit more about what the complementary model of board governance is? Yeah, that's a great question. So the complementary model of board governance is really built upon a defined set of 10 principles. And these principles will lay out the fundamental conventions within which the organizational structure, the duties, roles, and responsibilities of the directors and the staff, and the operation of the NPO will function. It's my experience that the governing board must have a clear understanding of the 10 principles and must accept them completely in order for the governance model to be successful. Perfect. Can you share with us um, the first three principles? So uh, put on your seatbelt. We got a lot of great stuff to cover here, but let me just break it down into smaller bite-sized pieces. I'll go through the first three first, and then uh, we can unpack these. So uh, number one, principle number one is the board is responsible for both the governance and the management of the NPO. So common law has long held that volunteer boards of directors are responsible not only for the governance of their organization, but also in a comprehensive way for the effectiveness of the management of the organization. In fact, many statutes and government regulations, such as those dealing with labor standards, sales taxes, and unpaid employee wages, hold volunteer directors liable for management failures in these areas. So for anyone to suggest that NPO volunteer directors should work exclusively at the policy level can actually leave those directors exposed both legally and financially. Directors need to acknowledge and accept their overall responsibility for both governance and management. So that's the first principle. Now, the second principle is that the senior staff person is designated the chief executive officer of the organization, the CEO, and is accountable to the board for the management of the organization. So what's our rationale for this principle? Well, the Dictionary of Business Terms actually defines chief executive officer as follows. The chief executive officer is the officer who has ultimate management responsibility for an organization. The CEO reports directly to the board of directors and appoints other managers to assist in carrying out the responsibilities of the organization. Well, this definition describes the role of the senior staff person of an NPO with pinpoint accuracy. So once there's an agreement that the senior staff person is in fact the CEO of the organization, it allows the board to hold that individual solely and completely responsible for managing every aspect of the operation of the NPO. Also, because titles do convey authority as well as descriptive meaning, experience has demonstrated time and again that the senior staff person will grow into the responsibility of the new position title and rise to meet the demands of that role. So principle number two is that the senior staff person is designated the CEO. 
And then principle number three is the senior elected volunteer is the chair of the board. So as chair of the board of directors, the senior elected volunteer is entrusted with all the responsibilities inherent in that position, including meeting and agenda preparation and meeting management. In addition, the chair is responsible for coordinating the activities of the board in developing the association's strategic plan, approving the annual budget, monitoring the performance of the organization, and determining the compensation of the CEO. So principle number three, the senior elected volunteer is the chair of the board. Love it. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing. What are the next three? All right. Yeah. So uh, principle number four, the board is responsible for determining all governing policies of the organization. The CEO is responsible for determining all administrative policies of the organization. So the mantra that boards make policy and the executive officer executes it, well, that's been accepted with the NPO community for decades. However, as Peter Drucker once wrote, he said, the trouble with this elegant answer is that no one knows or has ever known what policy is, let alone where its boundaries lie. As a result, there's constant wrangling, constant turf battles, constant friction. So this principle brings clarity to the policy setting role of both the board and the CEO, and it sets the boundaries for them both. The board's responsibility is to debate and decide upon policies related to governing matters of the NPO, such as the model of governance to be adopted, the mission and strategic goals of the organization, and how the board will monitor organizational effectiveness. However, Policies that are purely administrative in nature, such as office hours, banking arrangements, human resources, payroll, administration, these are all established by the CEO. So while the board has significant responsibility for policy determination, that responsibility does not extend to defining administrative policies. Policy matters that are purely administrative should not be on the agenda for discussion at board meetings. So that's principle number four, and that's gonna rock a lot of people's worlds, believe me, <laughs> okay? So let me share with you policy, um, or rather principle number five. The board defines and approves a code of conduct for the directors and a separate code of conduct for the CEO. So when a board of directors articulates its expectations of directors by establishing a director's code of conduct, well, three positive outcomes follow. First, directors are not subsequently surprised by the requirements of their position because they've been advised in advance what's expected of them. Second, directors can be held accountable for their volunteer performance. And third, there's a greater probability that their performance will rise to meet the expectations that have been established. Now, similarly, when boards of directors communicate their expectations of the CEO by establishing a CEO code of conduct, the same benefits result. In my experience, too often there is a gap between the expectations of a volunteer board and the performance of the directors or between the expectations of a CEO and the CEO's actual performance simply because the board has not clearly articulated its expectations. The definition of separate codes of conduct avoids these misunderstandings. And principle number six is that there are three types of committees or task forces which can be used. 
the comp model identifies there were three alternative organizational components for assisting in the governance and the management of the organization. We've got board statutory committees, also known as board committees or standing committees. There are policy task forces. And finally, CEO working committees. And I can dive deeper into these distinctions on a, on a separate podcast. But Trista, those are the next three <laughs> principles of the complementary model of board governance. There is some great clarity coming through here. Thank you so much. So what would the next three be? All right. Well, why don't I just finish it off with like the, the, the okay, yeah, the, the last four, the last four. Okay, right? last four. Sounds good. Okay, last four. We're in the home stretch here. So um, principle number seven is that there are four monitoring options available to the board. So one of the most important responsibilities of the board of directors is monitoring the performance of the organization and taking the appropriate corrective action if things are not progressing as the board had planned. The complementary model establishes four methods for the board to use in meeting this responsibility. Number one is the CEO report. Two would be task force reports and board statutory committee reports. The third would be external reports. And the fourth would be financial reports. And I'm sure we can dive deeper and unpack those on another podcast episode. But those are the four monitoring options available to the board. Now, principle number eight is that the board makes an annual written appraisal of the CEO. So we talked about this briefly on a previous podcast. Now, a major cause of confusion and misdirection within NPOs is a sheer lack of documentation. Committee terms of reference may be uh, unclearly spelled out. Job descriptions may not even exist for directors. There may be no single written strategic plan. Well, similarly, there may be no written set of strategic goals or a work plan for the CEO and subsequently no written appraisal of the performance of the CEO. However, two important questions for the CEO are, how am I performing? And how can I do a better job in my role as CEO? So a board of directors is doing no one any benefit by avoiding these questions. At the same time, the complementary model requires this type of feedback to be provided to the CEO every year. Completing an annual written appraisal of the CEO, it doesn't have to be a torturous event full of unexpected surprises. It should, in fact, be a summary of the CEO's um, successes over the past year, as well as a review of the goals that were missed or only partially met. All of this information is reviewed comprehensively, annually, so that the expectations are clear for the ensuing year. And it's very important for the board to realize that the process of completing the CEO's appraisal for any year actually begin the previous year when the strategic plan for the NPO was approved by the board. So that's principle number eight is making a annual written appraisal of the CEO. So here's the last two, nine. The governance committee coordinates written appraisals of all volunteer directors of the board. So how are we performing and how can we do a better job in our volunteer role? These are two equally important questions for NPO directors. So there's a place, this principle here in the complementary model of board governance, it's there for a reason and there's a need for performance feedback for directors at least annually. So responsibility for completing this work should be included in the terms of reference of a governance committee. 
An effective volunteer appraisal system will help that committee identify candidates for the future, more senior roles on the board. In addition, the evaluations can identify training needs for the board members. Now, your board may prefer to begin the process of introducing volunteer appraisals by first implementing an evaluation system for the board as a whole rather than individual directors. Then, later, after they've become familiar with the process and the benefits of volunteer appraisals, there may be um, more confidence in expanding the scope to the board members, the individual board members. And finally, principle number 10, board training is a priority budgeted item. Now, most NPO directors agree that a clear mission is vital for the organization, and many boards spend considerable time, effort, and money ensuring that this is accomplished. Far fewer NPOs, however, appreciate the correlation between volunteer training and volunteer performance. So the linkage between effective board training and effective board performance should not come as a surprise. So if your directors are not told what their role in the organization is, and if they're not provided with the training and other support necessary to fulfill that role, why should anyone be surprised if they're not successful and happy directors? Attention must, therefore, be paid to this principle. Uh, what's the first step listeners should take? Well, I think the, the first step or the next step that, that listeners should take right now is to really look at their director's manual. So the most effective training program will be built on the foundation provided by a director's manual. So if you have a manual now, great. Look at it. See what's included in there. See if it needs updating. If you don't have a director's manual, uh, it's probably a good idea to start one because that's going to be the foundation for any good effective training program for your board. And we'll probably talk more about that on another podcast as well. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for joining uh, me, Tom, uh, on the podcast today. Great to be here. Thanks again, Trista. Trista.